I'm back. But you're not. I grabbed a couple chocolate chips. A little snack. It's actually a lot of chocolate chips. <laughs> Too many. <laughs> oh no, this is your favorite sound. <laughs> oh god, I got so much spit on the computer. Oh no. Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, where we under try to understand the present <laughs> In the past, we're gonna start over. Bob's hey. back, everyone. Yeah, oh, oh, we are gonna start. Over. Sorry, I, I talked right over you. Bob's no. back, everyone. Bob's What's back. he back on? What's he's, he's back on 20th Century Popcast, where we try to understand the present by living in the past. That's I'm, good. There's no way I can edit around hmm. that first part, so it's gonna, it's gonna run the way you said it. But that's great. No, it's perfect. Awesome. I've done that. That's only what my second time trying to open the show. I, I screwed it up the first time by reading a typo, and I've clearly screwed it up the second time. I hope someday, Tim, you give me a third try. I hope so, too, but I will say, for doing it two times, the, the nice news of that, or the reality of it, is it sounds like you've done it two times, and that's good. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yes, my name is Tim Blevins. I didn't get to say that. That, that nope. was my one line during that, and we totally missed it. And you're Bob Canning, and you're back. You're on a little vacation last week. Yeah. It was nice. I I traveled to my home, my childhood home, and Mm -hmm. lived in my past for a little while. Um, Although, no. See, the the thing is, it's not really my past anymore. Um, It's it's where I grew up. Uh, My mom moved away from there years ago, and she's slowly been getting rid of things that she was holding on to of mine and my brothers. um, Some of which I've already brought back with me. Um, there might be some other stuff, but, uh, it was a little too busy. I w- took my girls <clears throat> and, uh, it was just jam packed full of, um, beach days and, and trip days. We went to Howe Caverns in upstate New York. Is this the house you went to though? That's not the house you grew up in then. No, we stayed in my aunt's house, which I mean, she had, she's had this for a long time. So I was in middle school or high school when she moved into this house. Um, so I do have some childhood memories there. Uh, but my real childhood home uh, is no longer in the family. Oh, okay. Is that bittersweet to return to, to go back to? Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it kind of is, especially when I've, I drove by it while I was home, and it's it's really run down, uh, which saddens me. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, so it was bittersweet. But it's good to be back and popcasting. Well, that's good. I, that is, I guess, what we can call it. No one else would ever say that, I assume, because the word is podcasting. I think the the listeners, when they listen to our podcast, would hmm. say, hey, don't bother me. I'm going to be listening to my podcast. A couple guys I'm go, who are yeah. podcasting. Um, something I've looking back at the episodes, you know, we had like uh, we had our 25th anniversary episode two weeks ago and something that um, I've been noticing is that we've spent a lot of time on this show. We spent probably the better half of the show's run <clears throat> talking about the 1980s, really mm-hmm. focused on the pop culture of our youth. 
So um, today, I thought, maybe hopefully through all of August, if, 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 if possible, maybe we can focus yeah. once more in the 90s. The reason <clears throat> being is that's an era where you and I were friends. You know, that's kind of, uh, especially the early 90s, I feel like that's an era where, you, you know, the, you and I first met. As we've said before, we met at Emerson College, and, and, and I'd like to get back a little bit to maybe exploring our mutual pop culture in that way, you know, at least for let's a couple episodes it. here and get kind of corkscrew back into that. Yeah, let's do it. And so we were discussing what to talk about, and what what did we come up with, Bob? What are we talking about today when we finally get around to talking about it? <laughs> yeah, today we are finally talking about The Tick, the, yes. the Fox Saturday morning cartoon The Tick. Did you discover it first? Because did, did you know of The Tick prior to the cartoon? Yeah, I think, you know, a very brief history, I think, before hopping to this cartoon, I, I, I was aware of The Tick. Um the Tick, the character of The Tick, started as a comic book. Actually, started in the late '80s in in Boston, in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, there's a comic book chain, and you and I used to go to, or I used to go to. I think you went to it with me, called New England Comics, not to be confused with Newberry Comics. Mm-hmm. New England Comics was a small. Um, I think there was three or four sites of it of a comic book store. And they had a newsletter that went out every month. And there was an 18-year-old who worked for the comic book store named Ben Edlund. And he created the, an, the image of the tick, a drawing of this big blue, I guess it was a black and white drawing, so you couldn't tell what color it was, but this big spandexed, muscular behemoth of, of a hero. And that was kind of their mascot. And then it became a comic book series in 1988. So I never read the series, but I remember seeing ads for it. Um, I loved comics growing up. I've talked a little bit about that in the past. And, mm-hmm. and so one thing that I used to do is do mail order comics. And there was a company called Mile High Comics. And you could order back issues. And they had this catalog that would come out every month. And there was there was just this ad for the tick in it. And I just I remember the look of his jaw, the antenna. I mean, the drawings looked very much as what they translated into the cartoon. So that always stuck out in my head. But I didn't know anything about the comic. I didn't know that it was a black and white comic. I didn't know that it was a parody comic. I mean, I, it, I think it was a subversive adult comic book that was making fun of comic book trends of, of, of the time. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's all I knew of it. So I, when it was coming to Fox, and again, this kind of, this was before I was on the internet. So it's not like I was looking up what's coming to Fox this fall. So yeah. TV shows would premiere and there'd be a little bit of a push and you know they were coming up. But I don't think I had much n- warning to shows coming up more than like a month or something back then. You know, if a new cartoon was coming out, not until it was advertised on TV would I really be aware that it was going to come into existence. So The Tick, it must have been advertised in the summer or something, but I didn't know anything about it. I actually, coming to the show, and I think as we talk about it, we'll, we'll, we'll find that this show was a pretty big deal for us. I anticipated not liking the show when I saw the advertisements. Oh, yeah? I have yeah, no... I, you know, I have no recollection of anticipating this, the show. I didn't know of The Tick prior. Um, as I think we've talked about before, I was never really a comic uh, book collector or reader in my youth. Um, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't have any um, visibility to The Tick. Um, and, <clears throat> and I have no recollection of leading up to it. It's My memory of The Tick is simply watching it, like being there and seeing it for the first time. Um, Did you see the pilot when the pilot premiered? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know if I saw it from the get-go. I just know that one Saturday morning we started watching it, and we watched it every Saturday that whole year. Probably. Did. No. It feels that way. 
No, it definitely does. And and to, to quickly, I guess, explain the Saturday morning cartoons is what we're talking about. Bob and I were uh, roommates, roommates for the first two years in college. Correct? I think our freshman and sophomore year. Yeah, we were we were um, put together, unbeknownst to the two of us, with a third person, <laughs> um, our our freshman year, Charles Gate at Emerson. Um, mm-hmm. Fantastic experience, and. I bonded with you uh, more than the other roommate. As did um, as did you. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that another time in therapy. Um, but yeah, we definitely, we bonded and um, we roomed together again. Also with our friends, Joe and Chris uh, the next year uh, across the street mm-hmm. at Fensgate. Sure. And I think part of our bonding, I think there were a lot of things. I mean, coming to college, coming to the unknown, you kind of, you know, you latch on to who you, your friends that you can find. We're lucky to have each other in the room. So we do things like you go to the cafeteria together, or you go get your books together, you discover the city together, all these new things, these overwhelming things. And while we didn't have a TV initially, once we got a TV, and I think that was maybe a month in, maybe two months into uh, there, I feel. It was like. probably two months. I don't know if you remember, but uh, we got, we sent each other letters I, I don't know if this is still something kids do, but we... Uh, well, prior to college. Yeah, started, prior to college, prior to we, we got each other's names and informations, the three of us. And I think we all three shared letters with each other. And I remember the letter from the, the third person in our room, uh, who will go nameless, um, mm-hmm. saying in his letter that if either one of us bring a television, he will chop it up with an axe um, because it is a sucker of time or something to that effect. And so even though I had been gifted with a TV VCR combo, um, I did not bring it initially. Now, did you think he was going to bring an axe? I didn't like, think he was going to bring an axe, but clearly he was making a statement that he didn't want a TV in the room. And I'm the type of guy that doesn't want to piss anybody off and upset anyone. So I thought, you know what? I won't. He's asking in a very roundabout way to not have a TV. So let's not do that. And then I think as we all got more comfortable in our new surroundings, I was like, fuck that guy. I'm bringing my TV. Well, and so I think bringing the TV in, I, was I that think too harsh? one of the ways, the, what, to not bring it? The, no, the fuck that guy. What's that? That's not usually vulgar on our, on our podcast. No, you don't normally swear in this program. That's true. I mean, we, we have an explicit content rating. That mm. is part of the show. All right, we're good then. I'm ha- I'm 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 not taken aback by it. More of that, I think. Who else didn't we like? Who else was on that <laughs> floor that you couldn't stand? Why? Uh, but um. Oh, I I could tell you. We won't get into her. Wow. No, okay. I was think I I would wonder who the female gender that you couldn't stand was on our floor. Did you, uh, this is probably fascinating. <laughs> it probably is. She lived across the hall from uh, from Joe and Chris. Really? I don't know which one you're speaking of because there were three across the hall. There were three, and there was one in there that uh, I didn't didn't like after a while. I liked her at first, but then I couldn't stand her. But then it faded. Yeah. It faded quickly. And and she – I don't know if this helps you. She she, she transferred, so she wasn't uh, at Emerson after freshman year. If was she helps. dating a teddy bear? Was there a boyfriend <laughs> at the time of teddy bear? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. I know exactly who you're talking about. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry I didn't care for for either of them. They were they were a couple doomed to fail, I think, because one was I'm sure going to get its head torn off at some point. But to get back to being polite podcasters that people do listen to, that that yes. was 
I will say yeah. this part, not so much the fuck that guy, but more so the anyone who may listen to this who was in college with us knows who you're talking about now. That that that's kind of that's not that's I can't cruel. edit that out because I don't have the tools for that. But that's that's cruel. That I feel really bad cruel. now. I feel well, terrible. I feel too bad. She she transferred. You know, I was young you and do? stupid. You know, when you're young and stupid, you have stronger feelings than when you're a rational adult. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if I met her now, we'd get along great. I don't think you can be sure of that. I mean, there are plenty of people that you're not going to get along with, and you should never assume that you're going to just on the basis of saving face. She could very well be the same. She could have married that teddy bear, <laughs> that white teddy bear. Like they could be a couple now. And if they are, and you did encounter them, the only thing you would have in common would be a semester or two of thinly veiled hatred that you would revisit through the memories of, hey, do you remember? I think that I think the bear's name was Spike, is if I remember. Oh, my right. God. I think her, I think her that's accurate. name is Spike. I think that is I think accurate. that is as much as we were going to talk about that couple because <laughs> I'm very close to using names. Let's move on. All right, let's move back, back to the room we were living in and why this TV, uh, I think, yes. worked out to be important. Surviving the threat, uh, the wayward <laughs> pen pal threat of an axe-wielding, uh, thinly bearded theater tech maniac. Wow, we are not fans <laughs> of our freshman class in any way, shape, or form. You know, I television. think, no, this is telling. This, this is, we were, we were fortunate to have each other, Tim, I think. Mm-hmm. We were sort of pushed yeah, together. The world wasn't. But we were. No. That's true. No, it, it is one of those because you can get paired up with anyone going to a dorm. This is the thing, and this will tie in. I promise you, reader, uh, reader, listener, reader of show notes, listener of podcasts. This is going somewhere. We were fortunate because freshman year, coming to the school, not knowing. Did you know anyone prior to to at, arriving at Emerson? No, not at Emerson a or even person just in or in in Boston. No, a completely new to me i had okay. one friend who went to college um a little bit north of boston um mm-hmm. but that that was in as Maine? close as uh no 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 in massachusetts i can't remember oh, okay the, the name of the school escapes me um but he and i were friends in high school and he went to that college and so mm-hmm. uh but that's that's every anything local was all new i was alone and frightened sure i mean i was i knew I vaguely knew a person who I think was a junior or senior there. I didn't know her very well, and I saw her maybe once or twice. So really, coming to the scenario of not knowing anyone, and we were starting to talk about this a moment ago, you, you, you know, you're, I was very fortunate to, that just by the chance of how rooms were put together, yeah, that we were roommates and that we had similar interests. And I imagine the friendship started just because it's kind of that forced thing we're sharing the room. We have to make conversation. We have to make connections you have to look for something that's similar yeah and what was fortunate is that you start to find out oh wait these things are sincere you know we do have things to talk about and i think cartoons were one of those i i I think um movies are probably another and i think something that i have fond memories of and that's why it must have been a month or two into college as we were settling in is saturday mornings because, I mean, I grew up a huge fan of cartoons. We talked about it on the Real Ghostbusters episode a few episodes back. We both would watch Saturday morning cartoons. So having a setup where we could wake up, you know, there in our dorm room. We didn't have to go to classes. We had two days off, which really meant we had a whole, you know, the whole weekend ahead of us. And we could sit there and we would watch. Do you remember? We would watch maybe two hours of cartoons before leaving the room, before going to breakfast. Yeah, I don't remember. I know that. I don't remember freshman year so much but i remember sophomore year was the tick and the Mm x-men um 
what else was there? Well, I feel like freshman year, I remember we watched, it was when Mighty Morphin Power Rangers first premiered, and it was such a goof yeah, of a show, right. ridiculous show. I remember watching that. Of course, there was X-Men. Um, I believe we watched Spider-Man. And I feel like there was some other cartoon, too. Maybe it was just those three, then. Maybe it was a small, small, I think Batman might have been on Saturdays again at that point. Yeah. Maybe it was a small window of time, but I do remember watching uh, cartoons. Eek the Cat, do you recall that show? That was Yeah, something I kind of remember Eek the Cat. Yeah, so... These were all, again, Fox Kids Club, Fox, the Fox Network did Saturday morning cartoons, so we were watching these. But yeah, by I remember this being a big deal into our second year because prior to, I maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but prior to coming back for sophomore year, I feel like I either got a phone call or a letter from you asking if I knew what the tick was. That's my memory of it. Really? So I, I feel like we both watched the pilot prior to starting school. Huh? Because again, I was going into it not wanting to like the show. Yeah. I think it was just a phase I was going through, but I thought it was going to be the self-absorbed, too smart for its own good thing. You know, like a wink at the camera, like Tiny Toons or Tasmania, or, or even sure. like even the Ninja Turtle cartoon. At that point, it was just so they were so smug and meta self-awareness, and for some reason, I was I decided I was sick of that, and the show was looked like it was being promoted as something like that. So I went into that pilot episode still watching it. I was at my parents at the time, but it took it, it took the full episode for me to laugh at a few things. And I think it took a couple episodes to really get into it. I remember you as being a fan of it before I fully came to it. Okay. I, I feel like yeah. it was a couple episodes in we're watching it. And then I think it clicked for what it was because what, you know, it was, a, it was a parody of comic books was a parody of cartoons and it was a parody of, of like situational television right so all three of those things are things that i enjoyed and at least two of them are things i feel like you enjoyed so it made sense that it was a draw and it made sense that we were liking it in college but um yeah it took me a little bit to kind of kind of connect to it yeah i you know i don't have the memory of doing that but i do i, I kind of do recall reaching out to you during the summer um, so mm-hmm. it very well could have could have happened, um, and yeah, I was immediately uh, enamored with the show. Um, so what was it? What about this show? And this might be a good chance to describe what the show is. What what caught your attention? Because you're like you said, you're coming into it not knowing anything about the character, yeah, not knowing maybe a lot about comics. So what 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 spoke to you in the show? And what is the show? What is the setup of it? Uh, the, the the setup is that there is a superhero, the Tick, who in the pilot episode we learn that he's been assigned or has won the right to go and guard the city, um, which mm-hmm. is the name of the city. And so he is just this exuberant, uh, enthusiastic, <laughs> uh, sincere uh, superhero in love with justice uh, who wants to just save the, the city. Um, and he goes to the city and he happens upon who turns out to be his, his, uh, partner his sidekick arthur who is a moth or is dressed like a moth uh that is his superhero he's an accountant he's like a yes. nerdish uh, accountant in real life but he's dressed constantly dressed as this moth. yes superhero. never out of that uh, outfit um and and it's just the the story of following the two of them through their their journey of becoming superheroes for the city and the city is full of superheroes um the the world is full of superheroes it seems and and so it's it's their roommates 
Uh, and you, so you've got, like you were saying, you've got this aspect of their situational uh, life and the situational comedy of that uh, as they are also superheroes. And it's parroting the whole superhero conceit. And by doing so, by throwing the town full of superheroes and also full of villains. And it's just, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's madcap. It's surreal. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And upon rewatching it, I don't know that we mentioned this, but this, we actually uh, binged four episodes. Right. Today we're doing a segment called Binging Podcast yeah. where we go back and we watch multiple episodes um, <clears throat> of whatever we're going to talk about. It, Thank you for reminding yes, me. Yes, that's correct. Uh, this has been a kind of a weird roller coaster of a, of a show today, Tim. Um, we're almost got, we almost got to it, though. We're, we're, we're just seconds from the actual <laughs> we're almost show. There. So um, I, reali- I don't think I realized it at the time, but I kind of it hit me as I'm watching it here. Um, this was the generation and the time period where there was a lot of cynicism, um, a lot of uh, like Pearl Jam and Nirvana didn't want to be rock stars. Um, Reality Bites was was recently released. I can't remember if it came before or after this. So there's a lot of, um, I mean, how would you describe it? Came it came before this because that came our that, that was our freshman year. How would I? Well, there was a, there was a lot of discontent. Yeah, maybe. A lot of, um, I think I know what you're saying. Just a lot of like anti-celebrity yeah. celebrities. And and just anti-everything. Like everything was the worst. Um, and, and I'm realizing now as I'm watching this, I think The Tick, I was so drawn to it because it wasn't anti-anything. The Tick character <laughs> was for everything. He was excited about everything. He loved everything everything he loved fighting crime he loved things that he came upon in the apartment that he might have never seen before he was so exuberant and enthusiastic about it all and i think that was a great uh counter to what i was also experiencing elsewhere in pop culture that i still enjoyed and still do enjoy but it was like suddenly it's like oh it doesn't have to be so dire Everything doesn't have to be a downer. Look at how much fun this guy's having. And uh, yeah, that, that drew me to it. He's such an exuberant, like the, the Tick character. And a lot of these characters are this way. The Tick character, the design works great. The, the concept is great. But what, going back and watching this show, what I realized is this is a show that is made off of the vocal performances entirely. Like the animation, the designs are, are nice, but they're not necessarily memorable designs. It's mid-90s animation, so its quality is is constantly fluctuating back and forth. But the voice work of these characters, the Tick's remarkable voice performance. It's a, a performer named Townsend Coleman. He's, you know, and he could easily have done like an Adam West. He could easily have done like just like a Clark Kent. But he, you're right. He is just this enthusiastic thrill seeker i don't even know because the things that he finds exciting the things that the tick is drawn to a lot of them are mundane things like a vacuum cleaner or going to the mall or you know like ice cream samples like those are the things (laughs) that he's thrilled about and he you know he talks about them in such a hyperbole kind of you know word caption comic book whatever state but it the tick doesn't feel like a comic book as a cartoon there is something else going on. And, and again, I think it's very much in the, the voice work. It's interesting that you're saying that this is a, 
positive show or or or, or like um not non cynical show because I, I something I I don't know if I would have thought that at first because truthfully it's a it's a show of glorified cosplaying but everyone in this show I feel is for, almost everyone and we'll get to the person who's not everyone is flawed in like a detrimental way sure like yeah. every hero set up to fail every villain is set up to fail and then the tick he's not set up to fail but he's just he there's honestly he doesn't seem all there you know like there's something something like he never gets out of his costume he sleeps and lives in it he doesn't have a job and he and he's you know he's prone to these dramatic pronouncements whenever something's occurring so i feel like <clears throat> all the characters on the show were there to be laughed at. I feel like they weren't like, let's go through a list of a couple of characters, like starting with Arthur. I mean, Arthur is his sidekick plays the role of the sidekick plays the role of the heavy sighing. I can't believe what I have to put up with kind of sidekick, he, but he wants to be a superhero, which is why I think he teams up with the tick initially. Yeah. So there is that drive, but it's kind of like, to a degree, we're supposed to look at him as the rational one, kind of like, uh, you know, like Penny on Inspector Gadget. You know, like Inspector Gadget is this bumbling detective who doesn't do things, but his niece Penny will always get things solved. But I don't know. Arthur seems unstable in this, too. Yeah. Like, Arthur seems like he's burying anger constantly at the tick. He f- sounds like he's constantly ready to crack. And also, he never takes off his costume. He goes to a job in his costume. He's like this right. Walter Mitty thing where... He does have a full-time job. He also, he took in a stranger as a roommate. There's something unstable about him that's sometimes almost hard to watch. Well, and I'll be honest. I mean, I haven't watched The Tick until these four episodes. I haven't seen The Tick in like the last 10 years. I might have shown one or two episodes to the girls probably too soon um, because they've (laughs) never asked about it again. Um, but I really haven't gone back to it. Uh, so going back to it here, I, I kind of saw that that w- with the tick and his his love of everything and his his uh, uh, willing to try everything too. I felt like he was grounding uh, Arthur and pushing him to do what he might not normally do. Um, to really having him strive to become the hero he wants to become. I, I felt like he was uh, there as. As a helper, not a hindrance, not someone that was in Arthur's way. And yeah, I could see how Arthur wasn't maybe ready for it and and, uh, would get angry, like you're saying, and frustrated about it. But uh, that never got the tick down. He kept pushing him and pushing him and and doing. And uh, I I thought that was sort of the brilliance of, of the tick and his relationship. You said you showed this to your daughters. You may have shown an episode or two to your daughters. I know it was on Fox Kids. I know it was on Saturday mornings. I know it was colorful and cartoony. But do you think this was even made to be a kids show? I don't think so. I think it was made for for us guys in college and, and, you know, maybe high school guys, high school kids. Um, I don't think it was for uh, six, seven, eight-year-olds. No, not at all. Because there was a toy line, there were books. I mean, it it it, it seemed like it was poised and, and and presented to be like another Ninja Turtles. Like it was kind of like this, you know, let's merchandise it. Let's because it's to look at the comic book it's based on. It's a much softened version in the comic book of the Tick. The main character, the Tick, 
the very first issue escapes from an insane asylum. He was locked up in his costume in an insane asylum and he escapes. So there's always this question of, is he actually super a superhero? Mm. Is he deranged and delirious? And it was a more violent comic. I think, you know, it was parodying a lot of like Frank Miller's work and Daredevil works and Punisher works of the time of the late 80s and early 90s. So the comic book was definitely aimed at an older audience. And so when it came to bring it to TV, because I think a, a merchandising company approached them or approached Ben Edlund saying that we want to do something with this. I, I think they, they went through great lengths to soften it, to make it more kid friendly, but maybe it's still not for kids. I'm not sure, you know, because again, let's, let's talk about some episodes. Yeah. Cause I think that'll be a better way to do it. Now, originally I, I had picked, um, episodes. These are all from the first season of the show. The show had three seasons. Um, I had picked episodes seven, eight, nine, and ten, but you you watched the pilot, correct? Yeah, I ended up watching the pilot. I th- uh, you had sent me the links, and I thought I had linked correctly, and I watched mm-hmm. the pilot. And then when it jumped to episode eight, I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Usually we watch all these in, in a <laughs> row, but perhaps we just wanted to watch the pilot as a pilot, and then later episodes. So I went with it. Uh, so. Yeah, I watched the pilot, and I didn't watch episode seven, which was that's an episode called "The Tick versus the Tick." So yeah, we'll we'll skip over seven, but I, I so talk a little bit about the pilot, like going into it. What was it familiar to to return to it? Did it look and sound familiar? Yeah, completely. I mean, these episodes. I mean, how many seasons was it on? Three. There were three seasons for a total of thirty six episodes. I've seen the first two seasons. The third season. And I remember this happening. It, it left the air. Like they pulled it at some point. Oh, yeah. Like it was on, you know, it came back for its third season. It was on for maybe a month and they pulled it. And I don't, and they would still advertise for it or they would still be part of the bumpers of other shows. But it didn't come back. I think eventually, a year or two later, Comedy Central scooped up the rights to it and they showed it late at night as kind of an adult show, I think. Yeah. And I think they aired the remaining episodes. And there, there were a set. I don't know if they did all of them, like you're saying with season three, but there were a set of episodes, a group of episodes that I feel like I've just seen over and over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, I think we watched the tick throughout, <laughs> throughout the rest of college. And I think we also watched it when we lived together after college. Um, I think so. Cause I taped it back then. I taped everything. Saturday yeah. morning. This is how I kind of remember what shows were on is I would just leave a tape running to get so, Spider-Man to get yeah. get whatever shows are on this. Yeah, we have. My VCR is busted, unfortunately, but I have tapes and tapes that have random tick episodes on it that I could probably curate the, at least the first two seasons from if I went through and, and found them all. So, yeah, we, we did watch this show. We watched it, and because I was we we been together for, for so many years during that period, um, this was completely familiar to me because we had watched it so often. And the episode, yeah, the pilot episode just really gets right into it at a superhero convention, um, which was great to show how it shows how the dick is indestructible and he gets awarded the city and just the, the, immediately you get the tone of it because here he is this awesome superpower who's been assigned the city and he gets there on a public city bus that he can barely fit in because he's such a huge, huge man. Um, and it just jumps right into it. They've got the idea men are stealing, um, things and, and we think that there's something else going on and ultimately they, they take over the the city dam and they threaten to, to, uh, to flood the city 
And that's where, you know, through all of this, Tick meets Arthur and the two of them uh, just fall into this and, and end up working together to to stop the, the idea men. So it's a good origin episode. I think it actually so. does give you a base. And did it feel like the show? You may have just said that. Did it feel it, like a fully formed it, show? It did. It felt already. like the show. It had um, lots of cutaway references to other superheroes. Uh, the tick seemed fully formed to me. Um, just his his presence and presentation and, and, and like you're saying, the way he speaks and how uh, his soliloquies that he goes on, uh, they were all right there. And the, the villains, the idea men, just as ridiculous as all the other villains, um, they had these masks on and no one could understand what they were saying. Um, it was just <laughs> perfect. Did it feel like a parody of comic books? Did it feel like a parody of cartoons? Or did it feel like its own thing? Like It felt like a parody. You were able to get something out of it. Yeah, it definitely. It felt like, a par- it felt like its own thing, uh, but, but definitely based on being a parody of comic books. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it definitely referenced... Um, other superheroes in the city, they have at one point in the background a Spider-Man-like superhero crawling around on the walls uh, who's a chameleon. I can't remember his full name. Um, so you've got that guy and then you've got uh, the human bullet is in this episode. The lemming just shows up. <laughs> um, bipolar bear. I remember that, yeah. Um, which is just a guy in a bear costume who is like, I'll save the day if I could ever get myself to, to leave the house. Um, so that's a pretty adult joke for yeah, a kid's show. Yeah, No, the show did definitely – so we were talking about characters a, a moment ago. Like there's the, the show has a, you know, has a lot of you – know, they would do a, a good job of, of introducing little one-off parodies of characters. But there was a core cast – yeah. And in that cast are other superpowered characters. And there's a character named Sewer Urchin who is um, sort of like he's dressed. He looks in almost like a fish costume. He lives in the sewer and he he has Asperger's or Down syndrome. I imagine yeah. he talks like um, Dustin Hoffman does in Rain Man. Right. Yeah, that's, that's and what it's I a would... character trait. Right. It's never called out as such like it, it's never dealt with that he's got you know um I, 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 autism is what i'm trying to think he's autistic i think and it's never addressed in a socially conscious way or aspect it's just part of his character it's just how he talks and it is making f- fun of the rain man character yeah or dustin hoffman's character from rain man which at this point is six years prior so it's reaching back to that which is funny but I just, you know, I've never seen and still have never really seen that on a kid's show. I guess South Park has done it with Timmy and a couple other characters where, you know, you're openly giving a character a learning disability or some some aspect that isn't that on any other sitcom would be the special episode right. substance. Right. It's well, this character trait. South Park's not a kid's show, I, though. No, it's not a kid's show. I'm just trying to think of shows in general that yeah. have done that. That's true. This is a kid's show. And... I think that's progressive. Maybe it's offensive and maybe it's neither. Maybe they were just doing it for jokes. But the same thing with Bipolar Bear. Like even when I saw that, I must have been 18 when I first saw that episode because I do remember that character. I had to have that explained to me Mm. why that was funny because I didn't know what bipolar um, disorder was at that point. So these... These are kind of mature jokes wedged into your kid's cartoon and honestly things that I... 
I'm glad they did, but it's almost a surprise that they got on a kid show. Another character uh, we can talk about, Deflator Mouse, which I believe is a Mozart or Beethoven piece of music that he's named after. It's a Batman parody. It's this guy in this giant bat costume, and he's an arrogant, self-absorbed, sexist Batman, basically. <laughs> and he's responsible for some of the best lines on the show. He doesn't show up much in the episodes that I watched, um, but he, he was my favorite character at the time. And it's just like he's on a kid show. And all he's doing is hitting on, on on women and being a misogynist. Like, it's clearly those attributes. Yeah. And again, it's played for laughs. And, and it's great. And I think, I, I mean, again, it's put on a, a timetable for kids to watch. And I think it has the funny characters. And I think the voice work and some of the stuff is funny. But those kind of aspects, yeah, they seem like they're appealing to something else and maybe it's not aged as that you know designated but they're appealing to a different mentality which i like i i kind of i kind of i kind of like that um why don't we talk about an episode that we both watched uh together to kind of get into how the show works because did you watch um the tick versus the uncommon cold episode i, I did yes that was classic my episode favorite yeah and i don't I remember watching it when it was on. I don't remember loving it. But of the four episodes I watched, this this one is my <laughs> favorite one of those. Thanks in a great part. Thanks mostly, actually. We're talking about voice work. Uh, the villain on this episode yeah. is this uh, sl- pile of slime alien, interdimensional alien being named Thrakazog. Uh, he lives in the apartment next to Arthur, which is also it's an apartment like 2B, but that's also the name of the dimension he comes from. And... I don't know. It's We should get into what it's about. But what makes this episode work so well is uh, Tim Curry from like uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show and, and, and the television movie of It from the 90s. Tim Curry does Thrakazog's voice. And it's such amazing voice work. It's not a voice you ever hear on a kid's cartoon. He's basically doing Dr. Frankenfurter's voice because that, that is his speaking voice, I guess. And he plays this sly alien creature, and he does it so, it's so well. Good. It's so good. It's so good. And here's the thing. This episode... And I forgot it. The plot of this episode... I forgot the voice. You had forgot this episode. I, had, I, I knew the episode. I had forgotten Thrakerzog's voice. Um, and, okay. and so when you see the character, which is so like perfect for it, you see the character before he speaks. And like you say, he's this interdimensional... Uh, blob kind of thing with arms and mm-hmm. and and a mouth with a uh, little extendo alien mini head inside his mouth. Um, <laughs> you don't expect him to sound like this. And I can't imagine what a kid got from that. Like <laughs> I knew who Tim Curry was by then, so I knew, I would have known what I was hearing. And it's funny, but I don't I don't know because it's here's the thing. This show. So, you know, you have this interdimensional alien and there's a plot coming up. But the basis of this episode is that the tick has a cold. And that's kind of it. <laughs> he's never been sick before. And it's like, he, you know, he's just sneezing and he feels ill. And it's like all the things he's ever done of fighting monsters and fighting supervillains, this is kind of doing him in. And through a plot that I don't fully remember, I just saw it yesterday, somehow Arthur gets... Thrakazog's mail delivered by mistake. He brings it over there. Thrakazog clones Arthur, I think, and makes yeah. uh, Arthur an evil Arthur clone because he wants a tick clone. And I don't exactly remember why. And there's a fight between the tick and his clone. And then eventually Thrakazog gets sent back to his dimension. But the thing is, this whole episode takes place in the apartment building. Yeah. 
mean, they eventually get up to the roof for the fight, but most of it's taking place in two apartments <laughs> as the backdrop. Very uninteresting, uninspired apartments. And it does so much with those tight spaces. Yeah. You know, you have the tick laying on the couch of Arthur's apartment. We've all done that. We've been sick. You lay on the couch. You're whining. Someone has to take care of you. And through just that amazing voice work that the tick has, he has all his tickisms and ways of speaking and trying to deal with the illness. And I think he watches TV and there's some like off-camera jokes of just what the program he's watching. Wrestling. But when we go to Thrakazog's apartment, a bulk of what's going on in there unrelated to the episode is built around the idea that even though he's this interdimensional <laughs> villainous beast he has a roommate (laughs) who i don't know if they ever name i don't know if they give his name but it's just a normal guy who lives there and it's all the trappings of someone who's ever had a roommate you can get you know it's like don't eat my stuff make sure you tell me when people call that's your side of the room this is my side of the room and it works into the storyline not in a way that's necessary like this the episode could have played through i think without him it's not like he swoops in and saves the day at the last moment but it's incredibly funny and it's almost as if they're like let's brainstorm a bunch of jokes about having roommates and they worked it into the episode and it's just everything just happens in this small space yeah. you know and there's the dusex machina of some device that eventually sends Thrakazog back and that's in the apartment but i mean this is what i'd be looking for in a superhero parody this is what i'm looking for just in a comedy this is a brilliant tight 22 yeah. minutes of television and it's not like it's making fun of anything directly. It's not like you can't say like, oh, Thrakazog is based on Doctor Doom or Thrakazog is based on Thanos. Like it's it's a new character. Right. And it's a new looking character. I guess the thing in its mouth is a little bit like the movie Aliens, but not exactly. So it's just. Yeah, the thing in its mouth talks, has a, has a whole personality of its own, uh, yeah. seeking out brains. Yeah, it's, a, it's also it's making fun of zombie stuff. The Arthur clone keeps saying, I, Arthur, I think. And, it you know, it wraps itself up pretty quickly. <laughs> like, it's almost too conveniently wrapped up at the yeah. end. But it's fine because it's really just, it's all those jokes in the middle about having a roommate. And it's kind of like you're juxtapositioning that with such a bizarro setup, which is an interdimensional alien who wants to conquer Earth. And a superhero with a cold. It's just, it all works so well. You know, it's all firing on such strong cylinders or whatever the phrasing is that, yeah, if I was to show someone an episode, I'd probably show them that episode. And it's not even like it wasn't memorable prior to that. I didn't remember much about it, but it really worked. And it really works as good sketch comedy. It really works as a parody, as a satire. And it's pretty well animated. Thrakazog's facial expressions and the way he moves are really well animated in this episode. And again, I wonder, would a kid find it interesting? Because a kid, a 10-year-old, doesn't have a roommate. You know, has never gone through the aspects of having an apartment. Yeah, It's a different world for them. They, they certainly wouldn't enjoy it on the same level that you and I enjoy it. They enjoy the aspects that, that are... Uh, I don't want to say lowbrow necessarily, but just a, a little guy in somebody else's mouth screaming for brains. That's pretty funny. Um, a, a clone that's basically a giant man made of snot. That'd be funny for a kid, you know? It's a gross out gag. Kids like the gross out. I mean, Tick destroys him by literally inhaling him into his nose and sneezing yeah. him out again. Um, so I think that's the kind of stuff kids would like. 
um, but I, they wouldn't enjoy it the way it was meant to be enjoyed, which is on all the levels that you just talked about. For this show to exist, I'm just, I still can't quite come to terms with Saturday morning cartoons. So you put a schedule together for kids. They got their Spider-Man, which is a funny superhero show. They got their Big Bad Beetleborgs, which is this live-action Mighty Morphin Power Ranger-like program. They got their goofy Looney Tunes cartoons. They have this wedged in there. And then from this, they go to another show. It's like, this. how does this fit in? Well, amongst the rest of the day's programming, it's, it's yeah, it's kind of boggling. I, I imagine, like we've said, it's it's sort of because it's superheroes, and I think it paired with the X Men at least for a time. Um, maybe mm-hmm. that was sort of the idea behind it, and then the Ben Enlin and the writers took advantage of that and and still produced the show they wanted to do, you know, and didn't kowtow to what do you think this was the show they wanted to do or do you think they had to sanitize it i don't know it might be what they could do um like because like you're saying i I was unfamiliar and and still i'm not familiar with the comic book um but that seemed to be darker um and a bit more adult and so yeah maybe they wanted to do that but couldn't um but i still think they were able to to put something out there that maybe the executives that, that greenlit the show weren't quite expecting or wanting. <laughs> no, I think they get away with stuff too. Yeah. I think animation can always get away with stuff, but I think they're able to slide in some things in there that either went over the heads of these executives or executives don't, you know, aren't actually don't behave the way that we want them to, to make the story valiant. I don't know, but cause let's look at the next episode. After this one, we watched an episode called the tick versus brainchild. In this one, Brainchild is a what like a five year old or a ten year old. He's a kid. He's an actual kid who still lives at home. He has a sister. He has his parents. He has a tree house, and he has a glass dome over his exposed brain. <laughs> is this villainous <laughs> character? And this watching this episode, this was probably one of the most stylized episodes. Um, that I don't remember the show being this stylized. Like I couldn't necessarily tell. I can't always tell if this was a well-animated show when I'm watching it, but this one, you know, because 90s animation, sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes they're really good with, like, coloring, but not so much animation. Sometimes it's shading, but not so much drawing. But this episode is so well-directed. There's all, the, like, just in the opening alone, there's a lot of point-of-view angles because at the beginning you have this robot dog flying into this base to steal something. So you have all these point-of-view angles from the dog. You have, pan like, these sweeping pan shots where... There's a lot of action happening in a single shot, and that didn't happen a lot back then because that's expensive to do, you know, when you have a single animation shot and then what would be the cameras moving back and forth. Yeah. And so this episode seemed very experimental in that sense, which I which I enjoyed. It's, it's also, I think, the darkest episode of the four that we watched, and that's due to this robotic dog. Uh, its name is Skippy. It's a uh, brainchild's pet. And what we learned through the course of the episode is that uh, this robot Skippy has a dog's brain in its metal body. And that prior to that, Skippy was a real dog. Mm-hmm. And that this dog was prone to, and they say in the episode, chase car, chasing cars that were heading towards yes. him. So the idea is he was hit. I guess the idea is that he died, but then Brainchild brought him back to life by transplanting his brain uh, into this robot dog. He mimicked it with his own brain. And by the episode's end, Skippy's robot body is destroyed and, and he's reduced to a brain in a jar. 
<laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but he's still this kid's dog. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a sad. It ending, is because it's not. It's not just that he's poor robot dog. Yeah, exactly. He's not just reduced to it. Um, he's going to die, and Brainchild has to quickly create the jar and the mechanisms to make sure he can keep him alive. And there's that moment where they're waiting to see if it worked, and the dog brain eventually barks. Uh, through like a little speaker that's attached to his cerebellum or something. And yeah, it's a a laugh riot. It's, it's a darker episode. It's kind of a forgettable episode after the fact, like once it was over, but it was very entertaining to watch. And that's kind of what Saturday morning is supposed to be. And what came up in this one too, uh, which I liked about it. And it's probably another appealing aspect of the tick is that there are references to previous episodes. There's an actual Yeah, there's uh, a lot of continuity in this um, Yeah, the moon that the boy is, is bringing down has the CHA burned into it from a previous episode when Chairface Chippendale, I think it was, uh, tried to write his name on the moon. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of continuity on this that you kind of have to have seen the episode to get... Because they, they don't really take their time to explain it to you, no. which is funny, which I think, again, we see it all the time now. I think that was kind of a new approach in 1994. Yeah. So coming off of that, we had one more episode. And this uh, the last episode we watched was episode nine, The Tick versus Pineapple Poconos, I believe. Is that the character's name, the villain? Pocopo, I think. Pocopo, Pineapple Pocopo. Yeah. The, the, the plot of it is basically... Um, it starts with a space shuttle in outer space. There's a monkey on the spaceship, which is something I don't think they've done since the 50s, but it's funny enough, you know, <laughs> test flight with a monkey. It's horrible, by the way, ethically, but hilarious <laughs> on a cartoon. Um, and the space monkey passes through a radiation field or something, or that, cloud. That opening was, was my favorite bit. You talk about voice work like and writing. Mm-hmm. That whole opening bit is made by the radio guys from nasa um <laughs> who you never see you know going off on their conversation i wish i could remember i didn't write enough down for my notes to really tell you but something about spilling coffee yeah was, but yeah it's oh two, it's two technicians you know <laughs> the, the typical like you know Houston, we have a problem technicians but yeah it that is pretty funny that was hilarious um but i think the monkey crash lands in this country that's run by pineapple pocopos or whatever Poco-po. who yeah, not a not a very memorable. Not character. memorable. Not the whole. Yeah, I didn't care for it. It was great to have American made in the episode. Well, that's what I wanted. Well, to let's talk, talk about, about American made. This is the only episode I think we really get American made. Uh, American made is one of the one of the core characters here. She's kind of a cross between um, kind of like Captain America, kind of like um, Wonder Woman. Oh, she's uh, almost like. Wonder Woman, yeah. So she's like, she's a, she's you know she looks like a maid, but it's a red, white, and blue outfit of a of a maid. She's very competent at what she does. She's very strong. She's very heroic. She's a pretty flawless character, actually, in this world of idiots in their costumes. Yeah. And that sort of translates to a not very developed character. True. Compared to the world she's in. But exactly. Compared to the world she's in, I mean, I, I I get it. It's like making fun of all these muscular jock guys who are idiots. And then you have what should be this very feministic character. 
but I mean, she's not escaping the tropes that they're parodying necessarily. I mean, she her costume is still a bit revealing. You yeah. know, it's still a sexualized costume. She's still very fit. She's sort of militant and not likable in personality. Yeah. And it's just like again, we were talking earlier about how everyone in the show has their flaws, has their moments of stumbling, has something that works against them so they're never quite the hero they want to be. She doesn't have any of that. And so it's just kind of like it's a hollow person. Like you I get her I get her place on it. She's there to kind of roll her eyes at the flater mouse when he makes a pass at her. She's there to get people out of trouble by doing the heroic thing that people can't do. Right. And it's funny, she has like her high heeled shoes are like throwing stars right. and things like that. But you can have a female character who has flaws. There's space for that character to be something. And she and she doesn't get to be. Do you have a full recollection of her character throughout the series? Well, she shows up. You watch the pilot. She shows up in the pilot, right? Briefly. Briefly. Um, mm-hmm. Let me check my notes and see if I have more about that. Yeah, she's got a quick scene with Deflator Mouse. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it sets up the character as you've described her. Um, and it sets up Deflator Mouse as, as he's been described. All the goofball, obnoxious characters are very endearing, mm-hmm. you know, like the Flater Mouse, while a jerk and a misogynist, is is fun to laugh at because of those as- aspects. Most of the villains are like that, too. They have something in their mentality or something that just is unhinged or unhooked, so it's enjoyable to watch. American Maid shows up, and you can applaud when she arrives. She's going to help these guys out, but that's all she has. You know, she doesn't yeah. have the, the development of something that I remember. Right. I think a lot of times there was this mindset that, oh, if we're going to put in a female character, if we're going to put in a gay character, if we're going to put in a Spanish character, if we're going to put in anything that's not a white male character, to avoid having to learn how to write for them, let's just make them the most competent, successful, flawless individual they can sure. be, just pointing out the flaws of everyone else. And that serves a purpose. But in this show, I feel like they had a chance to do something. I, I think at the time, it it worked for me because you know you you needed that that she's like the grounding character, you know that you can kind of compare everyone else to. Um, Wouldn't Arthur be that character? No, Arthur, I think is isn't Arthur more grounding than her? He's more I, like I could relate more to Arthur than American. Yeah, movie. no, I I mean, yeah, I guess, but I, Arthur, I feel Arthur is just as as whack job as as some of the other characters so i felt she was more um Mm. i don't want to say realistic but but if you were to like take a real person and if you were to pull the real person out of the show um american maid would be what i probably would think of then but now after listening to what you're saying because she's not flawed she's probably the least real of all of them Arthur, I feel like as a character, is the one that has to work a job. <laughs> as like I get wanting to do one thing, but having to work a job to make that happen, and that's what Arthur does. He wants to be the superhero, but he works as an accountant. You know, he wants to help Tick fight crime, but he also has to pay bills. He has to get rest to go to work. He has to do all the real world things. Yeah. And I think that's that's a great filter to experience the show through now. Not as much as a kid, but now that's a wonderful filter for me. You know, it's weird. We t- what stuff we talk about, we always talk about how it impacted us, what it taught us. I don't know if this show taught me anything. 
I don't know if it changed the course of how I approach comedy or comic books or life or writing or anything like that, which is always the depth I want to like kind of dig into with these things. So maybe that can be manipulated, but it definitely was, it was just a genuinely enjoyable 30 minutes with commercials. Yeah. <laughs> like I do remember laughing out loud at this in our yeah. dorm room, like just laughing out loud at 1030 in the morning and for this program and taping it and rewatching it yeah. and, and and yeah it's it's purely entertainment and it doesn't have to be anything else well i'll i'll, I'll add something to that cuz for me it was a little bit of something else because for me it oh. was the the i think it was the first thing that you and i had uh together that we kind of discovered at the same time and watched at the same time. So we weren't, we weren't coming at each other with the things we've liked before. And we're not, you know, at this point, Hey, let me tell you about this thing I've discovered recently. This we discovered together. Um, I think we also kind of discovered X-Files together, but I think separately more, uh, but, but the tick that was for me, uh, the best bonding time with you because, I didn't have that with anybody else. There wasn't anybody else I was watching The Tick with. That was just Tim. Yeah, man, that's sweet. That that's a, that's that is very nice. Well, you're welcome, sir. That's cool. We'll end on a high note. Oh. Right? We're high. <laughs> no, but um, I'm glad you're back. That was that that was nice. Um, that was our episode, everyone. That was our touching and emotional Tick episode. <laughs> Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're, I'm glad to have you back, Bob. I think the show works so much better when when we're both here. I think it works um, well. I like your I like your your solo episode from last week. I, I very much enjoyed it. If you haven't checked that out yet, listeners, uh, go back and and take a listen. It's a good episode about uh, the past, like every episode is. <laughs> so that's a ridiculous way to. <laughs> that's explain true. That. It does have that topic. Well, thank you. That was nice of you. If you do want to go back and check that or any of the past episodes, you can do that at 20popcast.com. That's our main website. Uh, the newest episode always shows up there on uh, Thursdays, Thursday mornings, but all past episodes are there. You'll also find links on that website to follow both Bob and I on Twitter. Um, I'm at, at Subcultist. Bob, you are at Canning, I believe, on Twitter. Correct. Um, you can also subscribe to the podcast if you just want to get a new episode every time it drops without having to seek it out. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, a couple other platforms here or there. Bob, any contact info about you guys? You know, you've pretty much covered it, Tim. Um, and I'll just uh, agree that uh, I want to hear from folks. We want to hear from folks. We've, we've got August planned. We already know what our topics are for August. We're going to the 90s. Um, but what's September going to be? Oh, um, do you, uh, anything else? Your comic book? Can I mention your comic book? Oh, oh no, we'll save that for another one. Save that for another one, folks. Next week, plugs. But this week, catchphrase. swallowed it off. You know how you sometimes just have a craving for chocolate? You just grab some and just nibble on it. That way you're not like sitting there eating a whole bowl of ice cream or something. So I have a bag of chocolate chips and I'll just sprinkle a few in my hand, take care of my craving, 
I don't feel like I'm being poorly. But uh, that was a lot. I poured too many into the palm of my hand. 